welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thank you very much, big voice in the sky. Yes, we are back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson, joined by Barton Simmons. Barton, uh, as the as the intro says, you know, we, we've got you covered everything from the National Championship, National Signing Day, and everything in between. National Signing Day is coming up. Uh, we will be getting to teams that could be making a strong close uh, here in just a little bit, teams to keep an eye on. But how's, how, is, uh, how is the 24-7 sports, uh, you know, national director of scouting, how's the recruiting world feeling right now as you approach signing day? I imagine that this is... This has been a more stressful time in years past when we haven't had the early signing period to take about 60% of the top prospects off the market. It's, it's, uh, it's been a less stressful. Is that what you, is that yeah, what you yeah. I imagine it is yeah. less stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been a little bit less stressful. I'll say this, like it's been just less news out there to chase. I think right now, like typically it's like, it's we're in like a frantic period where everybody is filling out their class everybody's sort of got their arm around their girlfriend, but looking over their shoulder to see if there's a, a, a better looking girl at the bar that they can go spit game at. Like there, there's, there's, there's this constant movement of, of trying to flip commitments, um, trying to sort of evaluate your options and making sure you get the best class available. And, and now with the early signing period, you, you just, you got to sort of work with what you got. You, you have uh, a, the majority of your signees are already in the fold, and now it's just sort of finishing off the last two or three spots for the most part. Now, there's also some teams out there uh, that have a lot of room left in their class. In most cases, we're talking about the the new coaches, and they're they're just all over the place trying to um, get you know get volume, get get a lot of guys in this this final stretch, uh, which are harder to find, and so. Uh, the the remaining uncommitted guys or the remaining unsigned guys, I guess I should say, uh, there's still more than enough drama around those guys. That hadn't changed. There's just less of them, and uh, I still think as we you know sort of creep towards signing day, we're, we're finding that there's still plenty of sort of excitement and, and drama out there to keep us interested. So we we're recording here on Thursday the 25th. We got, uh, am I right? We got two weekends left of the contact period before things go dead that is right we've got uh two big official visit weekends and maybe you know maybe we'll we'll catch a couple of um of of midweek visits along the way too but yeah it should be should be two very active weekends on the recruiting trail um yeah i i I had to pull up the uh, other recruiting calendar um was writing this week about how about how about air force being able to keep recruiting through a government shutdown (laughs) <laughs> yeah i saw you write that that's uh um uh, that was hey you know what Re- recruiting's a lifeblood recruiting's, now. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, was, I was looking at i was like huh like, like the air force academy you know uh I, you know, during the the government shutdown uh you know all non-essential personnel um that are funded by the government they you know were not uh working they were on government furlough and that meant that 11 different air force athletic events get canceled but the Air Force Academy knows that football recruiting and football in general needs to be uh, taken care of elsewhere. So, like a lot of football programs, it's essentially funded by the, their booster club. And because the booster club isn't funded by the government, the Air Force uh, Academy Athletics Fund or whatever, uh, that allowed Troy Calhoun to go out and, and secure five commitments during a government shutdown. Hey, you said all non-essential government personnel recruiting is essential <laughs> it is essential to the national security of the united states <laughs> uh go falcons all right uh, a couple news items before we get back dig back into uh recruiting with an eye on national signing day coming up here in a couple weeks uh offensive coordinators the the it's really uh for starters let's, let's go with teams that uh have locked up or secured uh the way things are going moving forward ohio state after Ryan Day, uh, a, a coach that has certainly been considered an up-and-comer. And I want to say that we even talked about um, Day with maybe Wilt Fong. We've definitely mentioned his name, or maybe it was with uh, Danny Cannell. We've mentioned his name on this podcast before. Ryan Day, co-offensive coordinator 
uh, for the Buckeyes moving forward. There was some interest from the Tennessee Titans that he might be going there. Do you look at that as uh, an important uh, an important spot, important person for Ohio State to keep on board, particularly as we look at the post JT Barrett future, which will be you know either Dwayne Haskins, Tate Martell. Uh, how how does Ryan Day figure into the future of the Ohio State offense? Yeah, I mean that that was pretty impressive that Urban Meyer was able to to sort of. I mean that that's to me like I figured this was a long term play for him to get back into the NFL as an offensive coordinator. I figured this was just sort of a, um, a resume builder for him. And he got his offensive coordinator opportunity and he got it with Mike Vrabel and he got it with the, uh, you know, a former, what number two pick and Marcus Mariota quarterback. And, uh, and, and he turned all that down to be the co-OC, um, at Ohio state. <clears throat> and I guess like what one take I heard on this was that urban Meyer sort of, up front, he says to his coaches that he hires, look, I, I sort of demand two years out of you. You know, if, you're, if I'm going to hire you here, you got to give me two years. And, and that's non-negotiable. And that, I guess, tugged at, at uh, Ryan Day. And, and maybe he stuck around because he had, he had given that assurance to, to Urban Meyer. If so, credit to Ryan Day. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see. You know, I'm I'm curious to see how that impacts. I mean, how, you know, how different Ohio State looks on offense if he's going to be the guy. So is he really calling plays him. now? Like, is is this mean that Kevin Wilson is out of the picture? I think he's calling plays now. I would I would guess there may be some uh, some sort of collaboration. You know, like maybe Kevin Wilson gets third downs, or maybe he gets it's th- gets passing situations, or um, you know, or I mean, I and certainly Kevin Wilson's somebody that's that's got a lot of. I mean, he's a he's a pretty highly decorated coordinator in his own right. So I can't imagine he's just going to be, you know, some nominal coc that's that's just coaching a position. Uh, I would imagine that there'll be some pretty strong collaboration and probably some um, some some game day interaction from the play calling standpoint too. But but yeah, I think that was the announcement that I saw was that he is, or at least the report was that he will be calling plays, which again was was you know that that's pretty telling that he's taking over some play calling duties from Kevin Wilson. Uh, so new quarterback, new style of quarterback, new offensive coordinator, new style of offensive coordinator. Urban Meyer's always got his fingerprints on the offense. Um, <clears throat> I guess my lean is that this is probably a, a good thing for Ohio State. I think we had all gotten a little bit uh, maybe restless with the offense that they had put on the field, thinking maybe they could do more against good competition. Um, it's just, hey, this- listen, the JT Barrett soundtrack got played out. We really enjoyed it. There were a lot of hits on that album, but you can only do the world tour but so many times. We need We need new action. Yeah, yeah, I think we do. I think this is going to be – and. But like we were already getting some new action, and this this just sort of adds to it. Um, this gives us like this this may be a whole different genre of music we're, we're dealing with here. Uh, so it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be interesting, and I'm actually kind of interested to see who even wins the quarterback battle. Everyone's penciling in Dwayne Haskins in Columbus, but Joe Burrow's pretty good. Oh, that's right. Um, and he's healthy again, and uh, he's going to have something to say about that competition. And if he doesn't win that competition, he gone, and he's going to be one of the <laughs> most highly recruited, uh, I would think, grad transfer quarterbacks out there. Um, but, you know, he's got a dad who's a coach at Ohio, and, and he may already have a sort of an idea where he's going to head if he doesn't win that job. I uh, It had been a minute since uh, I'd, been, I'd been reminded that you are a, uh, you're leading the Joe Burrow – uh, <laughs> fan club right now. I'm, I'm there. I'm not even, but I just, I, I just there. Don't rule him out. Yeah, like Don't. he's he is like there's. I, I'm fully. Um, I I respect what Dwayne Haskins brings to the t- brings to the table, but I think people are sleeping on it on the Burrow kid. Um, and uh, and one more note on, on the play calling. This is not anything that would be news to you, Barton, but just for the listeners. Uh, I. Let, let, let's not act like, yes, one person does have to make a call, 
But let's not act that at a high-level program like Ohio State or at any high-level college football program, the game plan is so detailed that uh, it's not like you're calling plays on Madden. And and the the game plan is put together by multiple coaches, right? Right, right. Yeah, they're, like, yeah, they're they're collaborating. They're building out that game plan, and and they're they're finding the tendencies that they want to exploit, and they're finding the mismatches that they want to exploit, all in this sort of a collaborative effort. Anyways, um, someone's got the call sheet, and someone's you know uh, signaling in the plays. But I, I I would think that they're again, and I think in a lot of cases you'll hear you'll see where situationally. A different, you know. Hey, uh, all right. What's what's the run? What's the run call here for for third and short? And then the the run game coordinator throws, you know, give, gives that call. And so there's, I think there'll be some level of that kind of collaboration as well. I think I think that there's a lot of fans that sometimes will uh, get hung up on the play calling duties. It's important, but I think that it sometimes that ignores uh, the collaborative nature of uh, of all the work of the hours and hours and hours and hours of preparation. Uh, that go into uh, what happens on Saturdays. Uh, speaking of uh, that that process, that collaborative process, Mike Loxley worked his way hey, up. Hey, before we move on from Ohio State, how yeah. about Mike Vrabel going down his list and, and uh, stealing or making a run at a second Ohio State assistant coach and getting them and Kerry Coombs, oh, uh, yeah. uh, the cornerbacks coach, who's been absolutely spitting out first-round draft picks at cornerback for Ohio State. Now he's going to the Titans for, with Mike Vrabel, uh, which I think isn't isn't insignificant given how, I mean, incredible the, the development. And not just, look, they've been recruiting at high levels, so that's not a surprise that they've getting, they're getting NFL draft picks at the position, but they're getting first-round draft picks on the regular. Denzel Ward's going to be the next one this year. Marshawn so, Lattimore was one of the best rookies in the NFL this past season. Yep, yep. So, like, I, I think that's a, a significant hit, or at least a, a not insignificant hit, and I think that's a great hire for the Titans. I'm, uh, yeah, I've, I've, from afar, it's hard not to be really impressed with with what Kerry Coombs has done um, in just molding the, that that position at Ohio State. What's uh, and, and that's recent, right? Like that. I mean, we're we're sitting here uh, on Thursday. That's this week. Yeah, maybe maybe yesterday, uh, maybe Wednesday that that, that broke. Um, so, Mike Vrabel not scared to to scour the the college <laughs> ranks uh, and the Buckeye staff for his next guy. I wonder if Larry Johnson's next for the defensive line. Oh, that would be a hit. <laughs> that would be yeah. terrible. I almost feel like he's got to just like go and make some uh, make some NFL hires. But hey, Larry Johnson probably wouldn't be a bad hire either. What's the Kerry uh, Coombs uh, as a recruiter? Uh, a big part of that. I mean, Ohio State's Ohio State's. Urban Meyer is one of the best worker. You've always described me, you know, like somebody who really changed the game in terms of the role of the head coach as a grinder. But uh, there was, I, I imagine, was Coombs a big part of also uh, acquiring that talent? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's in there this year with, uh, with some, I mean, he recruits the defensive back position at a high level. Like that, he's in there with a lot of their top targets. There, you know, he recruits he recruits the the state of Georgia and the Midwest. I mean, he's um, he's a, he's a good recruiter, and he's a uh, you know he gets the guys on campus, and then he gets them developed as well. So I think he's like you, you got to be a good recruiter, and I think you just uh, for Urban Meyer, like that's going to be an expectation, and that's going to be something that he demands, and you have no choice but to be a good recruiter. I think under him, um, but certainly, uh, you know, they'll be okay on that front. Um, I, I just think from a from a you know coaching standpoint, you know, that's a that's a loss for them. Yeah, I hear you. Um, all right, Mike Loxley. This was uh, when we talked about the Alabama offensive coordinator opening. You know there were there were all the the, the rumors and the discussions about some of the uh, some of the splashy outside hires and uh, and I don't even know as we record this has I don't even know if Alabama's necessarily even finalized uh, finalized this announcement though it is widely reported and pretty much been accepted because uh, Mike Loxley if he did not get the job my understanding was he was going to be a top candidate at Florida State. Florida State has moved ahead and hired an offensive coordinator. Uh, all the local Alabama people reporting Loxley is going to be uh, the offensive coordinator. Uh, this is a uh, this this was a move that I 
I kind of think this was the smart one. Uh, I know that there's been some, uh, you know, it's been a, a good coaching rehab spot for, you know, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, but uh, I think that after a couple years rising up from offensive analyst to being a coach on staff, um, you know, this was the player who was Damian Harris's pick. Damian Harris, among many Alabama former and current players uh, who decided to weigh in on the decision. And if you're a good recruiter, and I think that Loxley is uh, especially important, you know, very much to the D.C. area where he has roots. And if you don't, uh, you know, and if you've been there and you know what uh, what what Coach Saban wants, then I, I, I think that this was a great way to not uh, add any disruption uh, for an offense that certainly looks locked and stocked for next year. I agree. I mean, this was the, the move that I thought made the most sense, uh, if, if only because you don't want to screw up this opportunity that you've got. And if you bring in an offensive coordinator that, that's going to change things, that's going to bring new terminology, um, uh, bring new philosophies, then all of a sudden there's that risk. And I think this is a, a, a low-risk hire. What's going to be fascinating to me is when Alabama wins a national title, <laughs> I think that there's a, I think there's a pretty pretty good opportunity that they'll win a national title next year, and if they win a national title next year, it'll be because of the offense primarily, and so then all of a sudden you got Mike Loxley, who is the offensive coordinator. Let's just like let's just go down this rabbit hole and make these make some some assumptions. Let's assume they win a national title, and it's like it is like the best offense in college football, and it is the best offense that Alabama's had. And Mike Loxley's the coordinator for it and the play caller for it. And then, like suddenly, like his name has some sex appeal again. And is he a guy then that starts getting floated for some head coaching jobs, despite the fact that he's got a thirty or three and thirty-one record as a head coach, an interim head coach? Um, I think that'll be really interesting to see <clears throat> is how he's perceived how quickly people will forget his his just disastrous stint at New Mexico and, and maybe give him another shot at, his, at, a, at a maybe not a big job, but uh, but sort of a second tier or, or mid-major type, type of job. The answer is absolutely his name starts getting floated <clears throat> if we go down that rabbit hole. And he ends up getting the same benefit that uh, every other coach that has come under Saban and uh, emerged – with new opportunities. Um, I don't know though. I don't, I, I don't know if uh, like it, do you think that, do you think that Loxley would look at that as a, as an opportunity that uh, he would chase to go have to, you know, play rebuild at uh, another school to, to I think, t- I think he wants to be, I don't know if he, you know, he may not take another New Mexico state type of gig uh, or New Mexico, but he, he's, I don't think this is, Mike Loxley wants to be like Nick Saban's offensive coordinator for the rest of his career either. I, I think he's – I would imagine he still has aspirations to run a program. Um, and, hey, you know, what better way to, to get there than, to, um, than to, to be Nick Saban's coordinator? I mean, it's worked. It's, it's, we're on a pretty steady stretch of that working. Um, and, you know, even his offensive coordinators, you know, Guys like Jim McElwain going on to get head gigs and 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 move on to be successful and so, um, you know so yeah I think uh, I, I I'd be I would think he'll chase some stuff down after that um, and I tell you the you know Nick Saban then went out and hired a co OC from to stole a, a really good coach from James Franklin uh, and Josh Gaddis Ooh. I don't know if you caught that but mm-hmm. he's but. Josh Gaddis, the wide receivers coach at Penn State, uh, heading to, to Alabama as, as I believe his title is co-OC and wide receivers coach. Um, that, I think, is, uh, I think, a home run hire for, for Franklin. I mean, Gaddis was one of James Franklin's best recruiters. He was with Franklin since his, his uh, Vanderbilt days. But if you look at the receivers at Vanderbilt under James Franklin, at Penn State under James Franklin – uh, the way those guys have developed from a just a technique and a polish and a, and a you know from a just a de- developmental standpoint, uh, he, I mean he kills it in that in that realm. Deshaun and, Hamilton is getting praises at the Senior Bowl workouts right now. Yeah, absolutely. And Jawan Johnson made oh, huge yeah. leaps year one to year two. Um, 
you know, he's he's also, I mean, Jordan uh, Matthews at Vanderbilt. I mean, two star nobody recruit that that came became what a second rounder, um, and and even like his teammate at Vanderbilt, Jonathan Krause, kid went on to to win a Super Bowl with the, with the Patriots. Um, you look at him. I, I saw him at the coaches' convention. You would think he's a he's a high school backup just looking at him you know and and that that kid developed into an NFL receiver um under under Gattis so with all those talented freshman wide receivers at Alabama um I really think he's gonna be he's gonna work some magic with those guys and not that not that they need a lot of help but um it's gonna be scary to see what he can accomplish with that crew yeah I was about to say and if if you are uh, a wide receivers coach who really enjoys the the fine arts and the details of the position what could be more enticing than oh and uh and by the way here's Devonta Smith Jerry Judy um you know just these superstars Henry Ruggs, Henry Ruggs. Yeah, yeah they got a kid Tyrell Shavers who's who redshirted this year he's like 6'6 six, six and runs a 4'3 like <laughs> they got some toys for him to play with yeah 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 that's exactly what I was thinking where would uh where would Mike Loxley be surface for I don't even. I haven't even started. I. I can't. I. Now I don't know if I want to go down this rabbit hole of which <laughs> jobs are which jobs are going to be open after the 2018 season. Like I've, we've literally just firmed up uh, Arizona and everything else. Who knows? Right. Hey, there, I got it right now. Arizona State. Mike Loxley for Arizona State in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, I could see. Did you see? Did you see our guy hurt? Things going south quick. Oh man, he was like, I can't believe that you got to. You got. You got. It's not even the kids. You got to recruit the parents too. It's crazy. You can't just go out and draft these guys. Yeah, what? You got to. You got to call them on the phone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you do. Uh huh. How it works? You got to think that uh, there's a lot of coaches. Like like I I don't I know that uh, a lot of coaches are are friendly with each other. Um, you got to think that on like there's there's a group chat of of a bunch of coaches that are just like just just dying every single time Herm goes out here with one of these quotes. Like, oh yeah, yeah, especially yeah, especially out there in the Pac-12, who they're going to play against them. Um, <clears throat> yeah, man, that's that's that is living up to my expectations of train wreckage. Uh, but I mean, not like right now. We're still projecting. It's not like anything substantive has actually happened. That's gonna. That's a train wreck. Other than just like every appearance and and like radios hit that he has, he further like cements the 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 idea that he really didn't know what he was getting into. Uh, speaking of uh, train wreck, now that Matt Canada has landed as the offensive coordinator at Maryland, which by the way, I'm gonna say good hire for Maryland. Um, I, he's had like seven OC jobs in nine years, I think, or something like that. I saw. Do you think now that, some of those were because um, he was you know jumping from from place to place and uh, following um, Dave Doran and and you know so there's some of those were just like leaving with a staff. But Doran let him go. All right, so Doran let him go. He yep. lands at Pitt, crushes it at Pitt, and gets hired by LSU as like a splash hire. Then doesn't vibe at all with Coach O to the point that LSU will not answer questions about the offense in 2017. To the point that both parties, LSU and Canada, I believe, based on the way they're acting, are legally not permitted to discuss that relationship. This is ridiculous. This is the this is a breakup of epic proportions. Well, it all started with Troy when it, when things leaked out after they lost to Troy that Ed Orgeron had told Matt Canada nope. not oh, to, no to more, do no more shifts. shifts and motions. <laughs> like that's the whole offense. The whole offense is kissing around shifts, motions, jet sweeps, and and he and and Ed O t- told told Canada to, to chill out on that, and they lose a, lose a game to Troy. So that was the. The, the cracks began there. I think both these guys are alpha type of personalities and the neither of them was going to sort of back down off of that. And, and I think things eroded quickly from there. So like, I, I, I think it's, it, to some degree, Matt Canada, like this is not a coincidence that he's gotten, you know, 
had all these jobs in, in nine years and uh, he clearly isn't like the easiest guy to work for. But there's nothing about his offense this year that made me think he's not everything we thought he was from a coordinator. That he's not capable and really actually impressive as a coordinator. Um, he's still a guy that when defensive coordinators, like defensive coordinators don't want to play Matt Canada. Listen, they had one of the best defensive fronts in Auburn running side to side. And yeah, like Auburn's offense did the defense no favors in the second half of that loss to LSU. But I mean, I, I looked at Canada as one of the, uh, as one of, you know, one of the three stars of that win for LSU. I agree. So I like, I, so, but yeah, Canada gets some of the blame. Um, but I also think you got to hump a lot of it on, on Ogeron and, and, now that, that Canada's gone, and you look at LSU's roster, and so they, they're, they're wide receiver heavy. Steve Ensminger is the, the promoted coach, the, the new coordinator. Um, I have no reason to think he's not capable, but I think he steps into a, a, a tricky situation here. You got you are breaking in a new quarterback, probably Miles Brennan, um, who will be a true sophomore, got some snaps this year. Uh, talented kid, but... What do we ever really know about these quarterbacks until they, they get thrown into the fire? And for the first time in a long time, it's a it's an anonymous running back score at LSU. They're losing a bunch of offensive line talent. They're wide receiver heavy. They're all, there's all this talk now that LSU is going to be, uh, you know, relying on the strength of the offense, which is the wide receiver position. Okay, that sounds good, but when was the last time LSU was able – to capitalize on wide receiver talent. Um, I just think this, like I'm, I'm a little bit in the, all right, is, is this the beginning of a downward trajectory for LSU right now? Like I, I think you're on a little bit like a, uh, you know, red alert right now. If you're an LSU fan, I'm, I'm very curious to see what this 2018 season holds. So I started, uh, I was thinking, um, you know, in the shower, as I always do when I'm thinking in the shower, let's do it about the, uh, if I was to fill out the sec order of finish in both divisions, how would I do it? And I had a pretty good feeling about the East. I was like, Georgia one probably give like Florida two. um, you know, I'd, I'd have some trouble sort of figuring out how I was, how I was going to sort out South Carolina and Tennessee. I might give, you know, I might get bullish on Missouri and talk myself into the Derek Dooley experience um between now and july but in the west i was like you know what i might i might put lsu fifth i'm i I don't know what about lsu in 2018 gives me confidence that they're going to be better than uh joe moorhead nikki fitz led mississippi state you know like shoot i don't know if ole miss is going to be uh a team that could beat lsu like i i'm i'm looking at the sec west and i'm thinking that there's a very good chance that LSU could occupy one of those bottom, and especially if we're talking about the standings with the crossover against Florida, that they could occupy one of those bottom two or three spots in the division. I agree, and especially when you look at like I, A&M's going to have their challenges as as they transition into the Jimbo Fisher era, but they they have hired a really impressive coaching staff. Auburn's going to be Auburn. Alabama's going to be Alabama. Uh, Mississippi State will return one of its best teams from a personnel standpoint in a long, long time. Um, so I, I do kind of think that that's that is is a fair spot for LSU right now, and we'll we'll learn more as we get into the spring and then see how some of the young guys are progressing and that kind of thing. But and it's hard to be like super bullish on LSU right now, and the fact that they feel like they got to pay their defensive coordinator two point five million doesn't inspire a lot of confidence either. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, LSU's got to, <laughs> they, they need to prove me, prove something to me here in the, in the coming, uh, in the spring season. Uh, I need, I need to find a way to get confident in them again. LSU's going to beat Auburn and show up against Alabama and lose. And then they're going to lose to, uh, Chad Morris and John Chavis again, lose to Arkansas. And lose to Ole Miss or something crazy like that. Right. 
I don't yeah, know. I mean it's it's that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was thinking about do you think what what's your general feeling on Auburn going into next year? Cuz as a part of this thought experiment was I was like, shoot, I might put Mississippi State too. Well, I mean, I was I was sort of with Auburn I think they'll be even more pass friendly next year as the I mean, I think at the, at that point the receiving core is going to be pretty good. I think Jarrett Sidham comes back, they'll have more comfortability in in running an offense catered around him the defense should still be good particularly up front aren't they losing a bunch though i think they got it but they still have like nick coe coming back who's like a freak they had two freshmen uh like big cat bryant and and uh td moultrie who like i think are are gonna really emerge next year uh they've still got like Derek brown a defensive tackle like they've part of the reason that defensive front was so good this year is it wasn't just a bunch of of starters it was i mean they, they, they could roll waves at you so i i think defensively they'll still be in really good shape okay so we've we've reached the point with auburn where they've got like three or four classes of elite line play to the where we need to like you can assume that regardless of losing a bunch of seniors they're they're still going to be really really strong up front yes i i think so i think i think that the guys they have coming back like Nick Coe's probably first round draft pick. Um, Derek Brown is 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 a high, you know, is a you know day one two day one or two draft pick. Like I think once those guys become the future guys, you'll you'll see them flash. And then again, I think there's some tr- some true freshmen this year they're pretty excited about. So I think there's all kinds of beef uh, still still left over um, at, at, at Auburn. Mm, love beef. Um, one more news item and then we'll get into, uh, some national signing day talk. Florida is going to be getting back running back, Jordan Scarlett, wide receiver, Rick Wells, uh, linebacker, James Houston and linebacker, Ventral Miller. Um, they were four of the players who served a season long suspension from the credit card fraud case, uh, that ultimately resulted in the suspension of nine players in 2017. Dan Mullen says that they, uh, are, he's excited to have them back. We are looking at this, uh, like of these um, of these players that are back. Do any of them change your outlook? Uh, just in general, like when, when you're sort of looking at the the Florida depth chart as you're expecting it for 2018. No, not really. And and when I mean, even when the the suspensions came out, it was it was less that like any one guy hurts what they can produce on the field as much as it was the collection of all of them hurting their depth. And so I think getting bodies back and adding some depth is, is going to be beneficial. Um, but, but no, I, I don't know that this is a game changer for me other than just kind of add, you know, adding some, adding some bodies, adding some, some, you know, when, when Florida started getting hurt, like the guys that were there playing were, were just, they, they weren't guys that should have been playing. And so that's that's the case with any SEC team. If you if you lose ten guys, man, you're going to be in trouble. And and that's that's not even counting the the normal attrition that's that's sure to hit. So um, so no, it didn't cha- it didn't drastically change my perspective on Florida though. That that's how quickly Dan Mullen can get it going at Florida is one of my um, you know, is one of the the storylines of 2018 that that I'm sort of have no idea on like i'm just fa- i'm just sort of interested that, yeah, yeah yeah i think it's one of the most interesting and intriguing uh for sure i yeah. i agree with you the answer is no but my reasoning is uh mostly with behind um the what we saw from malik davis when healthy as a freshman this year i mean he was tremendous uh, yeah he was awesome i i really he missed the final four games with a knee injury if he comes back healthy and can be what he was um, you know, then getting jo- Jordan Scarlett back is great. You know, he's a he's a five ten, two hundred, you know, ten fifteen pound back that can that can you know get in there and, and give you some good production. But to me, the 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 potential star of that running back room uh, is Jordan Scarlett, and then you know Rick Wells at wide receiver. I feel like we've already seen you know Tyree Cleveland, uh, Tony. Like there's. The, the, again, like you said, this this seems more like a a depth uh, issue than anything else. Um, but it's uh, it's interesting, man, because we're we're looking at Florida, 
And Dan Mullen was one of those first-year coaches. Um, Florida is one of the teams that you've got as a team to watch here for the close. But even with a, a shorter time, Dan Mullen, uh, to me, I, and I think it ended up being one of your uh, points that you wrote on, but the landing Emory Jones, like, was that the most impressive sort of individual move from the early signing period of uh, one of the new coaches? It was, I mean, Emory Jones was always going to, he was not going to end up at Ohio State. And so I think it was one of the most important um, because it's, it beat, they, they beat Florida State on him. And there's no, there is not a quarterback on the roster at, at Florida right now that can do what Dan Mullen wants his quarterbacks to do. And Emory Jones is far from perfect. He is far from a finished product. And in most cases, I wouldn't say he's ready to play as a true freshman, but given how drastically different his skill set is compared to the guys on Florida's roster, like maybe that he does play. And I think at least Dan Mullen has his, his quarterback of the future to mold. And I think given Dan Mullen's track record, molding quarterbacks and developing them, uh, it gives you more confidence in Emory Jones ability to, to get there. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think that that was a, that was a huge gift for Florida. And, um, you know they still got some work to do here down the home stretch, but that I think just in, in in adding some athleticism to the quarterback room was was critical. So what is what is some of the work that uh, that Florida has left? Like where where are you keeping an eye on Mullen and his staff uh, as we get down here to the the final weeks and days before National Signing Day? Well, they got 15 commits right now. I think they have room for like eight more. I mean, there, it's, there's plenty of room to add guys down the stretch. But I think really the, the area that's most important for Florida is is offensive line. And, and I don't even necessarily know that that's like a, a need at Florida. Maybe it is. I just I don't, I don't I'm not as, as versed enough in what the depth chart looks like as much as it's they've got an opportunity to land about three high level four star and five-star kids in the state of Florida that they probably would have otherwise gotten if not for the coaching change. And now Dan Mullen, his offensive line coach, John Hevesy, have to get in there and win some of these guys over. Richard Craze, who's who's a, a kid that's committed to Florida, is flirting with other programs. Um, there's also um, William Barnes, who probably was a longtime Florida lean out of Apopka, who's a top 100 kid, Army All-American. Uh, suddenly, like he's sort of leaning towards North Carolina, perhaps. And then there's there's the w- number one offensive tackle in the country, also out of Tampa, uh, named Nicholas Petit Frere. And he is, again, a guy that like Florida kind of needed to get. And now, I mean, not now. I mean, he's always has been, a, 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 you know, up in the air. But um, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame are all like very much factors, if not, you know, favorites in their own right so uh i mean there's there's just a lot of tough battles left to win here for florida um as, as it is with any of these new coaches but but i i really think that's going to be kind of a um referendum in some ways uh, on the new coaching staff based on how some of these offensive linemen and, and some of these guys in the state um start to lean so f- when florida state had its early signing period it was a smaller class uh, there were some some good players in it, but one of the phrases that stuck out to me was that uh, Willie Taggart talking about you know he's not going to fill numbers just to fill numbers. So they've certainly got a lot of room to add players in this uh, in, for this second uh, national signing day. Where like where have you seen Taggart and his staff getting out there? What do you see them? Uh, who, do, who what kind of players do you see them chasing right now, and who are they in the running for? Well, I mean, they're they're kind of working on two fronts here. Um, they're working on the, the Florida front and then the the West Coast slash national front. Um, the the like the, so they like because because remember Willie Taggart was recruiting pretty heavily out of the state of Florida while he was at Oregon, and now he's coming into um, to Florida State, and he's you know I expected him to sort of just easily flip a lot of these guys over to Florida State. Hadn't been as easy as that. He's done it with a couple, but. Um, Guys like Warren Thompson, a big-bodied receiver out of Florida. Um, you know, guys like Malcolm Lamar, a big defensive end out of out of the Tampa area. Like those are guys that they're really working on. But they also have. I mean, they 
They've gotten some West Coast commits as well, and they got more to come. They're hoping. I mean, Jalen Hall, a big Army All-American four-star receiver out of, out of Long Beach Poly. Uh, you know, they're they're trying to get this kid, Treshawn Harrison, who's sort of this do-it-all athlete out of Washington. They've, they're very much in the mix for those guys. They're trying to flip a commit from from uh, Kentucky out of Ohio. Uh, James Foster's their quarterback. They're trying to land. He's out of the state of Alabama. They're battling Jimbo Fisher and, and Texas A&M for him. So. There's a lot of action out there, and it's it's sort of again it's on like a multi front with uh, with them recruiting very nationally. You have to if you're filling up this late with big numbers. Um, so I think Florida State closes pretty well, um, relatively speaking. Do they get into like the top ten? Uh, that that'll be probably a tall task, but uh, I think they start creeping up towards the top fifteen. Well, I remember. All right, so Jimbo Fisher. Was Jimbo Fisher always a great closer at Florida State? And so, if you were a Texas A&M fan after watching uh, the early signing period come and go, um, you know you were you kind of had in your head uh, the memories of a lot all those five star dudes who would pull out Florida State hats and start doing the tomahawk chop on National Signing Day in February in years past. Do you think that the Do you think that the Aggies are set to like? I, and, and I don't. I'm not always uh, as clued into the the calculator. You know, I, I don't. Always, I don't always do the the 24 seven sports class calculator. The simulations are very very fun to play with. And diehards are you know if you've got your team, it's awesome to sort of figure out you know where you can land, what your what your score can be. But when you're looking at Texas A&M's class, is it is it going to be a a, a, sp- a place where Jimbo can close? And can kind of solidify um, a, a group that can can give Texas A and M uh, something to build on as they make, as you mentioned earlier, sort of that transition from Sumlin to Fisher. I think this was one of the tougher tougher jobs anybody had because a in the state of Texas, it's gotten to be really competitive. Alabama's done a great job in the states. Texas is having a huge year recruiting. They're number three in the country. Um, there's a lot of teams coming in. I mean, even last year, like Ohio State, Stanford, and LSU were the teams that got the all, all the top ten players. Um, and so now here comes Jimbo Fisher, high expectations, um, you know, no room for failure, and he's bringing in a staff that's almost entirely non-Texas. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a really good group of recruiters, but not a lot of guys that are, are have been stationed in the state here for a while. And I, I think that. Again, like they, he got hired fairly late, um, and so they they tried to take some big swings at guys to get them on campus for official visits right before the the dead period. Didn't get them signed. In fact, they they often signed elsewhere. And so now here they are, and they have you know they got to make up some ground. So they'll be able to do it. They'll be able to get some names. I mentioned James Foster, the quarterback that they're battling um, with uh, Florida State for. Uh, you know, they've got guys like Isaac Taylor Stewart out west, a five-star cornerback that they're battling Alabama and USC for. Jalen Waddell, a big, like a really dynamic slot receiver. Um, you know, Christian Kirkish that they're battling for, you know, Alabama for as well. So if you, you know, you sort of listen to the way this plays out, like they're, there's just, they've got a lot of really tough competition for these guys and a lot of other teams that have a, a, a much better head start for them. So, um, I think that Florida State or I think Texas A&M will have some, you know, they'll they'll make up some some grounds, but it's just it's a lot to ask for them to like finish as one of like the the upper tier SEC teams. Um, you know, they'll be kind of middle of the pack by the time National Signing Day rolls around. Will be my expectation. Anything higher than that, man, huge win for Jimbo Fisher. Let's just hope that a lot of these uh, a lot of these top prospects are boot guys. I am a boot guy. <laughs> <laughs> that helps you know you better be a boot guy i am Texas. a boot guy <laughs> <laughs> um i yeah i i I'm, i almost have this like uh not a defeatist mentality but when you mention it's like oh and you know they're gonna be going up against alabama and they're going up against florida state like it there, there is uh, in all the different simulations that this runs. There is one where like Texas A and M miss, like just ends up falling short on a lot of those guys, and vibes will not be good heading into the fall or heading into spring. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I think there's there's that's the scenario. That's just, uh, but hey, they got our guy Elko. So defense will be okay. Defense will be all right. All right, okay. Um couple more schools uh, before we get out of here. Um the Alabama sort of um it was like on the early signing period, Alabama kind of got um fell below the fold. You know, they kind of fell to page 3 as it was really Georgia's time to shine. Alabama, of course, thanks to to Tagovailoa and a second and 26 that will be remembered forever. Um, certainly jumped back on top uh, in terms of sort of the the, the conversation and the pecking order. Um, un, unrelated, you know, the on-field and the recruiting efforts are both, uh, you know, 12-month machines, in my opinion, that are both running uh, at, at the same time. And so as we look to Alabama's recruiting efforts, we got some staff turnover, uh, but they are are going to be in a position to still finish with one of the top classes in the SEC and one of the top classes in the country. Do you see the Tide uh, making a run at Georgia's number one spot? Yes. Uh, and for the record, Ohio State is currently sitting number one. Oh. Uh, they've, they've been jostling back and forth here as rankings have updated. Like, uh, you know, with the 24-7 Sports Composite, that's what we use in our team rankings – um, is, is those player rankings and with the rivals.com update uh, they, they were so close that just that rankings update uh, put Ohio State above Georgia so as I see it and I'm writing a story on this today for CBS uh, it probably is out by the time this this podcast will be out um, there are three com- three teams that, that I that can finish with the number one class in the country Georgia Ohio State and Alabama and Alabama's Alabama's finish would take it wouldn't take a miraculous finish, but it would take a, a near perfect finish. Uh, getting guys like Pat Sertan Jr. or Tyson Campbell, five star defensive backs, and maybe even another five star defensive back and Isaac Taylor Stewart. Um, it, it would take them getting guys like Jalen Waddle. It would take them. Um, I mean, it would just sort of take a, a, a you know they, they, they'd have to. Like a waterfall effect or windfall yeah, where it's just they, like they, all of a sudden it, it's like the story of National Signing Day. Everyone's going Alabama. Right. Nicholas Petty Ferrer, the number one offensive tackle, would have to go. Uh, they'd probably have to flip uh, J.J. Peterson from Tennessee. Like, and as I say all these, like not a single one of these is far-fetched. Now, throw them all together, that's tougher to envision that they just get all of them. But uh, individually, like none of these are are are, are tough to, to imagine. So um, if they if they had that kind of a perfect finish uh, and and cut into Ohio State or Alabama by or, or Georgia by getting one of the guys that you know those teams needed for their perfect finish, then all of a sudden I think Alabama could could have a shot at number one. But it would be a it's it's long odds on that. Um. So what do we think? That would be number eight in a row. It would be eight in a row. <sighs> so and then the last the last class that was the last number one class that wasn't a Nick Saban class was an Urban Meyer class at Florida, and it looks it looks very possible. In fact, more possible, more likely that Ohio State ends up with a number one class than Alabama does. And so, you know, Urban could have. Handed the handed the crown to Nick Saban and, and could be taking it right back from him seven years later, uh, so that that'll that'll certainly be something to to pay attention to, and beyond the SEC too, the the team probably that could make the biggest just sort of move in the rankings. They're sitting at eleventh right now. USC, there, there's there's a scenario that could see USC land as high as like number two. I think that's unlikely, but. They're going to close really strong. Probably ends up with like a with a top five type of class. Um, you know, they've got Elijah Griffin and, and Isaac Taylor Stewart out west that they think they can get. Uh, both, you know, two of the top five cornerbacks in the country. Um, they've got, you know, just like a you know Penny Sewell, a big offensive tackle that, that Alabama's chasing. Like USC's in the mix there as well. Um, They've, you know, there's a pretty, pretty significant number of targets out there that USC is still chasing. Um, guys like Devon Williams and, and Solomon Tulia Pupu and, and some of these guys out west that are, 
sort of the, the last big names remaining, USC is is leading, if not you know just sort of um, in the mix with them. Man, USC crushes it. They always that that's the team that just like always closes strong. Yeah. Like every year, it doesn't even really matter who the coach is. Like they're just they're going to close. No, really, it does not matter who the coach is. Like you could <laughs> you could you could really. Um, like, I I think that Clay Helton is a good coach. Uh, he's he's very good with the media, and sometimes I'll sit down and uh, and watch you know his little uh, his discussions. He he shoots them at his desk, puts them on YouTube, and it's it's kind of insightful. He's a good football coach, but. Damn, if he's not a, a little bit of the creative coach on EA Sports NCAA 14 sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like just like pull out your coach your coach mold and just pull it, you know. Default, default, yeah. default. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, hey, he's he can still get it done. Uh man, that's uh that's good. All right, uh one last one before we get out of here. Our boy uh Jeremy Pruitt Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the one that's the one right now that is making the most noise. Like that's the one that I think is sort of the the landscape shifting higher from a recruiting standpoint to me, because as we look at like why Alabama might not get the number one class, it's because Kirby Smart is is, is doing so much damage at Georgia, and now uh, you know uh, Jeremy Pruitt is is sort of having the same kind of impact at Tennessee, and so I think it's just making the landscape more rigorous. Um, more treacherous for Nick Saban uh, with the guys that he sort of molded and and, and shepherded into these positions. Um, I, I mean, Tennessee is is all of a sudden. I've said this on some radio show somewhere. Like that, that's the school right now. That if 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 I'm a head coach in college football and one of my commits tells me he's taking an official visit to Tennessee, like that's the school where I'm like, damn, like. Uh-oh. Come on, like let's 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 talk about this. Like you don't want to want to go over there. Like I I don't want him on campus. I don't want him anywhere close to Knoxville. It's just just the, the the staff that he's put together, the way that he approaches it, the the track record he's got. Um, I mean that's it's is it, it's scary. And um, I mean JJ Peterson, the kid that was the out of out of South Georgia, top one hundred Army All American kid. What was go- he would be a Alabama signee probably right now if not for Jeremy Pruitt going to Tennessee and now instead of you know he 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 committed to Tennessee without ever even visiting the program just because you know not just because but largely because of Jeremy Pruitt. Wow, good stuff. He is Barton Simmons. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, the days are counting down. National Signing Day. Barton's going to be part of our live video coverage, uh, which we believe will be on CBS Sports HQ, but definitely available on CBSSports.com. Um, Barton, uh, keep keep your head up, man. It's this is this is time to close and lock up the commitments. <laughs> this is the uh, yeah. This is the home stretch, man. Home stretch. Stay focused. I right, appreciate it, dude. All right.